Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Karen Feinerman, Steve Grasso, Tim Seymour, and James McDonald. Tonight on Fast, one of our traders says the market is confused. What they saw in today's sell-off that was a real head-scratcher. We'll break it down for you straight ahead. Plus, the chart master says, look out below. White Carter Worth says... There could be more selling ahead. We'll tell you what he is seeing in the charts. And later, we're going bargain hunting as the Dow wraps up its worst week of the year. Find out if any of the beaten down Dow stocks are worth a second look. But we start off with a Friday fumble. Stocks selling off to close out the week with all three major averages finishing near session lows. And the selling was widespread. Every single S&P sector lower today with energy, utilities, financials posting the biggest losses. And the stocks fell. Yields also fell. The 10-year tumbling back to 1.44%. And today's action has one of our traders scratching his head. Tim, is you're calling this market confused. Why is that? Well, if you think about the, you know, the reaction this week, first of all, I think that the market has gone from focused on the long end of the curve to the short end of the curve. That, that may be accurate. But if you think about what really has outperformed in the last couple of days, since, since that Fed meeting, triple Qs, so NASDAQ 100 or mega cap tech stocks and even higher multiple stocks have outperformed. But triple Qs outperformed the S&P by about 2.7 percent. You know, the sense was uh, as we were going into a period of higher inflation and concern around the Fed and higher rates overall, um, what were most under pressure? What stocks, what subsectors were were really going to take the brunt of this? It was high multiple stocks. It was tech stocks because the sense was we were in a higher growth economic environment. We were in an inflationary environment. And what was going to outperform it? In fact, uh, the market's done the exact opposite. And, and I'm not saying that, uh, you know, the market isn't onto something here. Um, and it may be Partly what I said a couple of weeks ago when I said I thought that the, the, the bond market on the long end of the curve might be going two steps out from the Fed, which is to actually lean on growth. But look, this week, uh, I think the Fed got back some credibility in terms of their focus on inflation and, and addressing it. Um, but I, I, I think ultimately the fact that you saw the parts of the market that shouldn't do well in a higher rate environment uh, do poorly. And yes, I know the yield curve flattened, but the impact on the banks um, was disproportionate to what this news meant. So a um, little bit of a head scratcher. I get how markets work, um, but I think this is not going to be the way they trade next week. Have you seen the blood? I and mean, we're showing the uh, XLF right now, but the blood in the KRE, the regional bank index, down 7%. For the week, Karen, I mean, that is where you're seeing it the hardest in terms of the flattening of the yield curve and the perceived impact on these stocks. Right. Well, they also don't have some of the benefits of what the big money center banks have. Even though their trading income may be lower, it's still big. Investment banking is still big. Asset management is still very big. So I, I, I agree with Tim's confusion in general, I guess. I think that the, his characterization of, OK, the Fed gained some credibility. There is someone watching inflation is why there's less of a fear of inflation. If you look at the uh, break-evens on inflation, it sort of peaked right at this sort of, probably the highest use of the word transitory, probably right at that day. So that's come in a lot. I I think, though, there are some bargains out there. I mean, 
you know, I would say buy when there's blood on the streets, even if it's your own. It is my own. I can guarantee you plenty of my own blood out there. And I got a buy list, you know, ready to go. As painful as it is, I think Monday we could see another sell off and um, I'll start buying. Give me one name. Give me one name. Uh, FedEx, Citibank. That's two. Sounds like a final trade. Right one. Yeah. Could be. <laughs> I, I think, you know, Tim's right. You have the short end of the curve. You have the long end of the curve. You have the 210 spread. That's what hits the banks the most. And that rolled over. I'm not really sure what you. you yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, finish. <laughs> I'm not really sure what the market is is overly concerned with, because I do see it as transitory in, regarding inflation. Mm-hmm. Lumber came in 50 percent from its high, or 45% from its high recently in a handful of days. We're worried about a handful of things that probably will never happen. So go ahead, Karen, finish your... So I believe banks do trade with this idea of the 210 spread. However, that's not the way their big books are. Like, if you look at J.P. Morgan, they brought their duration in. They didn't want to be, you know, um, taking big interest rate bets. And so I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think the expectation of how badly this will hit NIM is probably overdone. And I I think people, sorry, but I think people normally trade banks off of that, whether it's changed or not changed. And that's where perception is reality right Right. now. People are selling value. So to Tim's point where he left it, I'll leave it. I think value is going to do a heck of a lot better next week. Yeah. And of course, we can't forget the Bullard comments made on CNBC earlier today, um, introducing the idea that he would be looking for the first um, hike in 2022, which is not really what people are expecting, James. So how do you sort of factor that into all of this? Well, we've had a revision by an increase of 50 percent for core inflation by the Fed in just the last 90 days. Data is moving quickly and the reaction to that data has to be as responsive. And, you know, to the comments about the, the, the regional bank index, understand Regional bank index doubled in value from October and post uh, vaccine announcements and the rally following the election was unprecedented in that space, as well as in small caps. And I think that in the unwinding of a bullish tone, uh, there's going to be some aggressive moves, whether they're related to rates or more precisely related to sentiment shifts. Uh, And the sentiment of the Fed is going to quickly adapt to Uh, employment numbers that may come in under 5% by year end, inflation numbers that are spiraling, uh, and then the overall positive outlook for our physical health with regard to reopenings. And I think all of the things that caused the Fed to take action uh, have been uh, waning. And as a result, you know, we're going to see some of these markets uh, behave more normally relative to long-term trends. More normally and and also having to respond to a Fed that may not be um, operating sort of on a autopilot sort of mode or in a very predictable mode, Tim. I mean, what Bullard also introduced was the idea that the Fed would be more responsive to each and every data point. And we know that the Fed is data dependent, all of that. Yeah. But he said it's not going to be on autopilot like we, we were on the last taper. And things have been so volatile and we've seen such outsized numbers that the Fed will be much more reactive to that point in time, which is uncertainty in the markets. Right. So you use the you use the volatility. So you referenced at least the market will be more volatile. I, we went into that Fed meeting at, at really for, for this cycle, um, peak 
Fed dovishness or Fed put or complacency or, you know, at, at 15 handle. And, and, and I think it's going to be very difficult for the Fed to have any dovish tone uh, in the third quarter. I think what's going to happen is you're going to continue to see some hot numbers. You have to see actually the labor market engage even that much more, puts a little more pressure on. Um, and I think you're going to get to a period where that ultimately <laughs> some of this will prove transitory and we will get to a place as I think the Fed's going to uh, get a lot more dovish as we get into next year. But it does mean that I think it could be a little challenging and it, it sets up for a really uh, potentially difficult September. Look, the market had a major, major reaction this week. It was quiet uh, on some level on the surface. Today, the S&P gave up a lot of ground. Really, until today, it wasn't that painful uh, on the headline, but it was very painful below the surface. Uh, I, I think you have a case where you know, you've, 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 you've put the Fed in a position where uh, that Fed put for markets uh, for now is, is, I don't see where that can come back anytime soon. And I think for the Fed's sake, uh, they, they'd be wise not to let us think it can come back anytime soon. And I don't think there's anything wrong with this. And I think what we're saying, and I think Karen's saying this about banks, hey, you know, I welcome this on some level. Uh, I think it's a case where fundamentals for, for money center banks, which are, are going to have enormous leverage to this part of the economy. Um, and yeah, twos, tens may be flatter. And by the way, the short end of the curve is going to continue to, that's where the flattening is going to come from, if you ask me. But, but the bank's businesses are in such great position and everything that the Fed is doing um, is a function of what will be good for banks. And valuations are interesting. So, James, back to you. Um, in this environment, where are you finding value? How are you positioning? It's a great question. I think if we uh, go back to the comments of understanding what sectors have the greatest sensitivity to the sentiment shifts uh, and then look within those sectors. I like the personal care industry. I think that there's a lot of names uh, around uh, consumer product focused companies that are seeing a big recovery based on the reopenings. And, you know, those names uh, are going to always be attributed to consumer demand spikes. And the consumer demand spikes that we're going to see in the stock market are going to be based on, the, you know, the climate change of going back to work, going back to school, going back to life, going back to travel. And I think that those consumer goods products in individual names are looking hot. Yeah, you got to start bathing and shaving and smelling decent. You're going to see people in person. I thought you were talking night. about that to James specifically. Yeah. Or, well, he's I mean, remote. Whole. Somebody so, else is here on set with me. <laughs> no, but um, also within Bullard's comments, something that was very interesting, he called it a threatening housing bubble that could be brewing, talking in the context of, of the Fed pulling back on purchases of MBS. Um, what do you think of that? I mean, things are very different in terms of you know, how the income requirements, like all sorts of things versus the last housing bubble. But for him to even right. use those terms is sort of jarring. Yeah, it's a little bit surprising. I do think this time is different. That time was the most different ever. Right. This isn't <laughs> like that. Right. I think as you I mean, credit scores are very different. And um, I, I don't know. I'm still relatively bullish on the the home builder trade. We've been in a supply demand dynamic that favors them for a while. It really favored them a lot, but I still think that dynamic is good. So I have exposure there. Yeah. You still in builders? I am not, but I agree with that. And I'm looking at uh, another builder to buy right now because the dynamics have changed. People are moving out of the cities up to the country. They rented in the cities. They're buying out in the country. So they're doubling up. So the demand issue is real and it's ongoing. Yeah. Uh, Tim, what's on your sort of buy list if there is a buy list for you? 
Yeah, there, there is. And, and first of all, so they're talking home builders. Uh, I, I, home Depot, Home Depot Lowe's, home improvement. And, and they've been trading down with this, too. Some sense. First of all, it was some fear of higher interest rates. Like the comps uh, are mostly what killed Home Depot. Home Depot's down 15 percent from the highs. Their comps actually have stabilized. They get a lot better. Um, if you look at their professional businesses, it's 45 percent of their mix. Uh, I really I have to say uh, this is an environment that's very bullish for them. Uh, everything about it, everything about the, the, the pent up demand, everything about the consumer savings, every, you know, so all that is good. And, and look, Amazon. So so this is a time where uh, I think not Prime Day in a couple of days, which may be part of the 10 percent move in the last 10 days. I think the markets flagged some of this. Uh, but after consolidating for you know, all the way back to last summer. Um, I, I think this is actually a defensive stock that's actually grown into, it's not value territory, but, but I, I like the call. And look, that's more of a hedge to what I was saying was going on earlier uh, when I said that you're seeing mega cap tech uh, outperform. I don't think that it will. Um, and I think the market, after it burns through this reaction to the Fed, um, will start to get back to some cyclical and some value. But I, I like Amazon and I like it standing out from the other mega cap tech names. All right, let's bring in the chart master, Carter Worth, to break down some key levels to watch following this week's sell-off. Carter, over to you. What are you watching? Right before we get to some of the charts, I mean, I think it's a, a pretty good example of how the market is ahead of the facts. What, what we see is weakness the last two days. But really, I mean, the KRE peaked on March 18th. This is June 18th. Right? The industrial sector peaked three weeks ago. The BKX um, almost four weeks ago. The weakness of the last two days, news-related or not, Fed-related or not, has been underway for sessions and sessions and sessions. It's not out of nowhere. And what's been happening, of course, for four, five, eight sessions, things like Adobe and Amazon coming to life, meaning uh, the market was ahead of the Fed, if you will, or, or figured out maybe what was coming. Uh, how that is, that's the genius of collective wisdom. In any event, let's look at a few things. The first is a table. And so what we know is that if you were to look at the pandemic low, we dropped 35%, and in the 15 months since we've gone up 95, there have been five plus percent sell-offs, meaning instances where we've dropped more than 5%, uh, six of them, in fact. And the important thing is, what is the average decline of those six instances? And it's 7.8%. So as we look at the charts, just remember that number down 7.8, and here we go. First chart, this is the chart that shows those six drawdowns, sell-offs, dips, corrections, whatever you want to call them, uh, since the pandemic low. Next chart, this is the same chart again, but it's showing you the trend line that's been in effect since the pandemic low. And this week, we breached that trend line for the first time. The next chart, the last two combined. So here's our trend line. Here are our six drawdowns. And so we are now below the trend line. What reference point can we use from here? The next chart, it puts together the trend line and the 150-day moving average. Next chart is just the 150-day moving average. And so were we simply to go down and touch the smoothing mechanism, guess what percent decline that is? Last and final chart, it is down 7.8% peak to trough. And again, of the six 5% plus sell-offs, we've had tenors, we've had nines, we've had five. 7.8 is the exact average. That's exactly where the 150 moving average comes into play. I think that's card variety and to be expected. Wow. 
All right, Carter, thank you. We'll see you a little bit later on. Carter Braxton worth a cornerstone. Um, Steve, what do you make of Carter's levels? Yeah, I like it. He, he goes with the smoothing mechanism, which is the 150. A, a lot of people look at the 200-day. If we sell down, if the drawdown hits the 200-day, we're down a little over 10%. That's probably what people are looking for as far as trying to get back into value. So six half dozen of the other, either down eight or down 10. James, how about you? The S&P's performance since last year this time and the recovery and follow-through post-vaccine uh, announcement post-election has just been historic. And I think, you know, what Carter points out, you know, Carter has to adjust his metrics to 5% moves. I mean, normally you could kind of look at 10% moves after coming off of a big market crash like that. Uh, we've seen an enormous amount of buying for the last five months. And obviously, uh, the indication that that could stop is somewhat of a surprise to people. I think that S&P support has come in again and again and again, and you can count on one hand how many times it hasn't in an entire year. So I think that, you know, there's still something to see what happens. This is not your father's S&P 500. The, S the NASDAQ 100 hit an all-time high just yesterday, um, and the preponderance of the names in the NASDAQ 100 dominate the S&P. Um, and so if we look at weakness in the S&P, we're really looking at non-tech names. We're really looking uh, at a broader uh, a scope of, of firms that, you know, may not participate in the recovery as strongly. Um, and so I think it's difficult to look at the S&P 500 in the context of, you know, long-term historical trends. And what we look at and focusing on this is looking at what all the uh, indices are doing. And again, you know, we're literally one day off of an all-time high on the NASDAQ 100. Um, so I wouldn't take too much into account what's happened in the other indexes until we see follow-through on tech. All right, coming up, we're going bargain hunting. The Dow wrapping up its worst week of the year. So is this an opportunity to buy into some beaten down names? Find out in our favorite Friday night game. And later, stick around for options action. We're laying out a winning trade on Nike ahead of earnings. We're live from the NASDAQ market side in New York's Times Square. Fast Money's back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Dow just handed in its worst week since October. So that got us thinking, is it time to go bargain hunting? What better way than Trade the good old game? I was going to say trade it or fade it, but the animation did it for me. That's right. Trade it or fade it. Um, yes. The beaten down Dow edition. Let's start appropriately with Dow. The worst hit name in the index this week, down nearly 9%. Steve Grasso, trade it or fade it? I'm going to say trade it. And the last couple of, uh, to keep in the same theme as Carter Worth, a couple of drawdowns that we've seen recently has resulted in the stock rebounding up over 30%. I'm looking for it to rebound maybe 20% or so. Trade it. Tim, where do you stand on Dow? Yeah, I'm going to fade it. And, and I don't like fading it because I, if I'm going to stay consistent with some of the statements I made earlier, yeah, that's a big boom. I, I think you've got a case where, um, the, you know, ultimately some of these cyclical uh, and value-oriented companies, and I don't think Dow's expensive here, um, but I, I, you know, I, I think the, the strength in the dollar, the overall concern around some of the industrial 
uh, names is something that at least I, I have not been in the, the chemicals trade and, and some of that industrial trade like Steve. I, I just ultimately, you know, I think there are better places to, to be. And this weakness on the charts doesn't look great. All right, let's move on to Walgreens, down more than 8% since Monday. So, Karen, trade it or fade it? Trade it. Uh, I'm actually long, so, so that would be my book talking. I mean, you know, it's, we've talked about things that are low, low multiples that were out of favor this week. This is certainly one of them. I do think at this level, 10, and 10 11 uh, PE with a yield north of three, closer to four, actually, I understand the macro wins that are, you know, we've talked about Amazon for a long, long time, but I do think people will be out. I think it's a reopened trade, and I think this valuation is too low. So all that having been said, trade it. James, trade it or fade it? want to fade it. Uh, I think the Uber Eats partnership is good, um, but we're off almost 10% in a single week, and I think that spells trouble. This move is too much for a stock uh, with a low beta of 0.56, and Looking at its technical levels, it's had a tough time breaking above $56 on seven occasions in five of the six months in 2021. And so having a difficulty breaking out above that all-time high, uh, but then on the flip side, the breakdown below $52 today, uh, where it's seen resistance in each of the first three months of the first quarter, um, I think that spells trouble. I'd be a buyer, though, in the low 40s. Okay. Next up, Triple M, down 5.5% this week. Tim? Yeah, it's probably the same refrain here. I'm going to fade this one. Um, I just think there are better places to be in in the industrial space. And I I know like 3M's business has gotten interesting. I mean, they've refocused a lot of the business. They're a lot more into data and data data analytics around uh, around their core customers. And and uh, but again, I it's it's just not the place to to be picking up uh, a beaten down chart here where I don't think the chart looks good either. Steve. So I'm going to say trade this one. The last time it breached the 100-day moving average, which it just did today, uh, was back in January, and it rallied about 13 14% off of that. But let's think about this. The 10-year can't get out of its own way on a yield, and this has a dividend yield of over 3%. I'm going to say there's a couple of reasons to be a buyer of this. I would buy it. Trade it. <laughs> Excuse me. Caterpillar down almost 5.4% this week. James McDonald, trade it or fade it? This was a tough one for me because I love – old, good, solid names, uh, and Caterpillar is definitely that. It can benefit from the improving industrial activity. Um, It's achieved some savings from its restructuring. It's increased its profitability. But this is a seller's market, and despite a low beta of 9.2, I think there's more pressure coming ahead than there is support. Karen, trade it or fade it, Cat? Okay, trade it. Partially because just dead cat bounce is just too, right, you got to kind of think that works there for a little bit. But just looking at, you know, (laughs) <laughs> Looking at Caterpillar versus copper, which obviously they're very correlated, they are, in fact, highly, highly correlated to the dollar over the last six months. So I just think we've had a big sell-off in commodities. We all know that. I think it's time for a little bounce. And, of course, if that bounces, uh, cat will trade that dead cat bounce as well. All right. Coming up next, we got the final trade. Stay tuned. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. Yeah, I think fifth time will be the charm in Amazon's attempt to break through 3,500. Prime Day, I, I think, will just underscore where they have a, a juggernaut in terms of their ability to, to keep folks engaged and the e-commerce growth in their business. So, Amazon. James McDonald. PSQ, if this is the end of the bull market, at least in the short term, this is where you want to put your money. Short the Nasdaq 100. Steve Grasso. Lenar, two headwinds have been the 10-year and lumber prices. Both of them have come in. Bye, Lenar. Chairwoman. Yes, on the heels of that Lennar trade, I like Whirlpool, adding that to my buy list. All right, that does it for us here on Fast Money. 
You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.